Hi, and welcome to another What's Up podcast. I am the What's Up Associate Editor, Jocelyn Murphy, and ahead of this week's What's Up stories, I was interviewing artists Nick Vaughn and Jake Margolin before their artist-in-residence program that was set to begin at The Momentary. And we were discussing their program because they were originally supposed to be in Bentonville at the momentary creating work in real time for during their residency. And then COVID-19 happened. And so now they've been working with the momentary to determine what a virtual residency is going to look like. And you can read all about that story in what's up on Sunday, April 26th, or online anytime. Um, but I did want to share with you guys a little bit of our conversation because Nick and Jake had so much interesting, or so many interesting details to share with me about their work, and we got into discussing their process, and uh, so much about the specific piece that they're working on, I was not able to fit in the story. So, Nick and Jake are working on this series. It is called the 50 States series. And they were supposed to be in Bentonville to continue work on their Arkansas piece for that ongoing series. And so what you're about to hear is a couple of clips from that conversation I had with them. The first voice you're going to hear is Jake. And then a couple of seconds later, his husband and artistic partner, Nick, will jump in. And and they very much uh, bounce off each other and, and finish each other's sentences. They were a joy to talk to. Um, but you will get a sense of their process and get a little bit more knowledge about their Arkansas piece, which deals with, the, the whole series deals with previously untold stories and histories from the queer community pre-Stonewall. Uh, and these are stories from every state and they do a lot of research and spend a lot of time getting to know communities to find uh, untold stories and uh, th that are really indicative and reflective of the communities the they're from. So enjoy my conversation with Jake Margolin and Nick Vaughn. You can find more information about their ongoing and follow their ongoing 50 States series at nickandjakestudio.com. If you are interested in following the residency and participating in the public part of it that will be happening at the end of their one-week residency, you can visit themomentary.org. And as I said, you can read the full story in What's Up by visiting nwaonline.com. We joke there's sort of in socially engaged art, there's a, a question that's often asked, which is a really important question, which is if you're doing community-engaged work, what is your exit strategy? Meaning- How do you that, exit a community ethically? How do you not just mm -hmm. like leave a void where you were, get people engaged in something, and then just walk away and have taken what was valuable but not have left <laughs> the thing that was valuable? And our 
somewhat joking, but also quite serious response is that we don't have one because we don't leave. We just wind up like sticking around. We keep on working with people. We keep looping we... people into later projects. It's, it it sort of feels <laughs> like our our community of collaborators is just this kind of ever expanding network of people. Um, and so this brings us to this residency, which when Pia uh, came to, we premiered uh, our installation for our Arkansas piece at, an, at a place called the Invisible Dog Art Center in Brooklyn, where we premiered all of these works. Um, and we gave a performative artist lecture along with it. And Pia came to that and was like, she invited us to like think about how we wanted to further develop this uh, with the momentary. And the main thing that we were like, oh, what we really need is a lot of time on the ground to start having these community gatherings and community conversations now that we actually know what we're talking about and we know what our, what our piece is. Um, and so we started to dream up and design this residency. And then, of course, a couple of months ago, as it became clear that uh, the world was going in a direction that didn't really allow for on the ground anything, um, mm -hmm we started to really rethink, well, what what are we going to do? And when we started working on this Arkansas piece, we spent a long time trying to figure out what might be our entry point. And uh, there was a wonderful book by a historian named Brock Thompson called The Unnatural State um, that's about the queer history, mostly in the, uh, the mid-20th century, um, of Arkansas. And at one point in the introduction, he mentioned uh, these two people who have become the center of our Arkansas piece, Wellington Stevenson, who was the president of the MNNA, the Missouri and North Arkansas Railroad, uh, that mm -hmm. went through the Ozarks, um, and his live-in servant, um, and most likely lover, uh, whose last name we don't know, but his first name was Jesse. And the two of them lived in a converted luxury rail car together uh, for seven years while uh, Wellington was the president of the railroad, um, and they lived in Harrison. And uh, there's many things that are totally extraordinary about that story and that circumstance. Um, and we thought that this mention was so delicious and amazing and intersected with so many aspects of Arkansas. And so we decided to write uh, a ballad and it's a ballad, not in the sense of being a song, but in the sense of being a, a text that incorporates this sort of narrative arch uh, hugeness of the story and mm -hmm. weaves through these things that may have been true and may not have been true. And so the way that we've been developing this is that we wrote this fictionalized ballad that weaves together some things that we've heard, some things that we imagine, some things that we read between lines along with things that definitely were real. Um, and then we have that alongside the things that we do know as fact, as history with a capital H. And they're very clear throughout about which is which. Mm -hmm. And try to be as transparent as humanly possible um, of saying, like, these are the things we imagine and these are the things we know. And so we decided that in continuing to develop this piece, in addition to continuing the research that we want to do and to uh, bring together a number of community members that we want to bring together, that we wanted to commission some more of these ballads from other writers and from musicians. And 
the original idea with this residency is that we were going to be bringing three other writers um, from around the country to Arkansas with us to mm. to understand all of the research that we'd done to take them to the places that we had gone and fallen in love with, to meet people who we thought were amazing, to go around to drag clubs and see performances and to like get to know the things that we've gotten to know uh, and then to write their own ballads in response to this history. And now that we're in a place in which getting together gatherings of people can't happen in real life, but can happen virtually, what we've decided is to commission the first of those ballads from somebody else and to do it virtually. It's also mm -hmm. structurally with this story, the idea that like we can only ever have so much access to the original narrative that we're working with. There's something kind of exciting and curious about the idea that the process actually also creates a certain amount of limit to access and like how how we build that kind of conceptual framework that has been sort of foisted on us by this moment into the fabric of working with this narrative and like these sort of multiple layers of uh, removal and distancing and and what that does to mythology and what that does to community understanding and what that does to the way we um, connect to these old stories and these places and um, which is to say that I don't think we know how that functions yet, but I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited for what what may come out of that. Something I'm really excited, and of course interrupt us anytime we're just talking, <laughs> but there's something that I'm really like uh, excited about in this like formal opportunity is that we know that uh, community is local, right? And that community is very specific and very local. And in this sudden world where everybody's thrown into Zoom, right? Everyone's thrown into video conference land and everybody's talking to everybody all over the place and seeing each other. I'm really interested in how we can uh, have this residency in some way feel as locally grounded as the physical residency was going to. Mm. Um, and I think that so much of my personal resistance to uh, the virtual world is because I find so much joy and rootedness in the actual world and mm -hmm. in getting to know an individual place and individual people. And so one of our sort of goals is to be figuring out how in this in this new paradigm that we're all in, how do we actually like celebrate and heighten and maintain that the individual community, the local community is paramount when we have this opportunity to completely diffuse that. Um, I'm excited to see how we how we navigate that. Yeah. Um that is, uh, is something I want to touch on. Um you know, you you mentioned you uh go to these communities before and um Arkansas you ended up spending a lot of time here because of a different community you were already visiting, Tulsa, and so you got to know Arkansas in a little bit different way, but I'm wondering, 
you know, as you're getting to know these communities um, and you're coming up against, uh, like you said, you, you wanted to be in this place and be able to create the work from a place of uh, n- not having, you know, your preconceived notions or um, anything like that affect your impression of the stories and the communities that already exist there. So all that to say, as you're getting to know these communities, um, was there anything that surprised you or, you know, that came up that you were like, oh, never in a million years I would have thought that this is a community that existed in northwest Arkansas or in Arkansas or this was the identity that was here? It's a great question, and it's uh, it's interesting because I think that had we come in and started visiting maybe five years ago, a lot of things would have been more surprising, but because we've <laughs> been in this practice uh, for the last five years, my expectation is to be surprised by the mm-hmm. glorious people that we meet, um, and so... I would say, okay, so yeah, one, uh, I mean, we've been totally inspired by learning about, for instance, the work of the Task Force on Race Relations in Harrison Harrison, and Mm -hmm. like learning just about what they've been up to and what they've done and how they organize in response to a a situation um, and a history. And like that was something that I didn't know, didn't know was happening. Um, and isn't particularly related to the queer world, but is uh, very related to the racial history of Harrison, which is very related to this history that we're getting into. I feel like one other one thing that I was a bit of a surprise. Um, I, we do a lot of, and like when we lecture, when we talk, we're like do a lot of discussion um, around our position as outsiders to communities. You know, as much time as we try and spend in them, and like the difficulty of what that means of the two of us coming in as two cisgendered white gay men um, trying to tell these stories that are not necessarily always about cisgendered white gay men. Mm -hmm. And in an ideal world, they're, you know, not very frequently about cisgendered white Um, But the difficulty of being an outsider and what that means of, like, bringing in this narrative or trying to reconnect the community with this narrative as we got more involved in Harrison, realizing that, you know, not at all discounting the the uh, deeply troubling racial history that it had, that like the second wave racial problem, the, the issues of racism that it's had in the last 20 years are also almost entirely run by people who came in from outside and are feeding on these old narratives. And so mm-hmm. that like being able to come in and as almost as a sort of counter outsider and and reconnect communities uh you know reconnect the community to the versions of their mythology that are other um that counteract that like there's something intr- that, that, that I was surprised that it feels like you know the billboards and all of this stuff that has happened over the last twenty years is is also being run by outsiders. And it's sort of a question of like, what mythologies do you come in and choose to venerate? Mm. Um, and another thing you mentioned that I, I want to go back to, um, you talked about 
you know, landing on this idea of the ballad. And uh, you did explain to me, you know, how you kind of went to these different channels and that's how you landed on that. But I'm just curious because every installation is so different. You know, you use a different format to tell the story, you use different materials. Um, you know, this one, you're using the ballad format. I'm just wondering how you, I guess, like, build the narrative you know, and build each piece and why um, the materials you use and the format you use for the Arkansas piece um, felt like the most effective but also maybe most engaging way to tell this story. Yeah, so there's, you know, I think often artists really specialize in a single material, right? Right. (laughs) Or they're really good at you know, marble or whatever it is that they're really good at. And we've realized that the material that we're expert in is narrative. Mm. And what we wind up doing is waiting until we know the narrative. And more than knowing the narrative, we know what's actually resonant about that narrative until we decide what medium we're going to use to express it. And it means that our process is almost unbearably slow. Um, because we have to, you know, it, it takes us a couple of years to figure out what we're even talking about. And then once we know what we're talking about, then have to spend a lot of time uh, figuring out how to make a thing. And often in our case, that means figuring out how to use a material or a medium that we aren't familiar with. And why I'm bringing it up is because it's part of why, like, I don't feel any particular uh, anxiety or panic over the fact that the trajectory that we were on for this residency and for developing this piece has taken such a left turn in terms of form because we spend all of our process being open to that happening and then the thing revealing itself. Because it may very well be that having to make something in isolation or in quarantine becomes the central thing for this piece. I can think right now just talking to you that, like, so much of the story between Wellington and Jesse happened in the isolation of their rail car, happened behind mm. doors, happened behind the curtains that were in the rail car, and nobody got to see it. It's like the, the quintessential thing of if you weren't there, if you weren't part of that their isolation unit, you just can't know what it was. Mm-hmm. That like, God, maybe that maybe that's the piece. There's also, so there's a physical installation that surrounds the piece and that, which I think you've probably seen pictures of on our website, but if not, we mm-hmm. can, um, which are these absolutely mammoth prints that are made in uh, charcoal powder that's then blown away. And they are uh, images that have come from the research that we've been doing. So they're images of the rail car that they lived in together. It's images of uh the the um the stone piers that used to hold up the bridge that went over the buffalo uh river um where the where the m n n a used to cross the river um and we made these massive stencils and then stenciled the image in gra- in charcoal powder and then blew away the charcoal using a huge air gun and so um, like the two things that it does conceptually are that one the imprint is actually made by the removal, right? If you were just to, like, 
flip over the print after stenciling it, basically all the charcoal would fall off. Mm -hmm. The thing about it's like the removal of the information is actually part of what imprints the image onto the paper. And the second thing is that you're left with these really murky images that are quite beautiful and feel very organic and you can kind you can read them you can sort of understand the structure of what's there but it's it's very murky and it's it's hard to get like a distinct read on where the boundaries of things are and where edges are and so there's something about like in approaching that installation as a ballad of like finding a way to actualize the uh, ambiguity around the central core narrative that we were working with. And we used charcoal mm-hmm. powder because the whole story centers around this rail car that was burned to the ground. 